one of the things that as I've been calling residents that keeps coming up is how hard it is to get safety improvements on streets, how hard it is to request a speed hump, how hard it is to request a stop sign, how hard it is to slow the speeds on dangerous streets, you know? And again, we make it very easy to do the opposite and very hard to do this. And that's a bureaucratic issue. Our electeds have to be demanding that these things change, you know, and have to be asking for these changes in order for the bureaucracy to actually respond. I don't think that demand is there within our city right now. Whatever we're doing, like it has become relevant for people in some way. And yet people will still yell about keeping their rights to drive, maintaining speeds and not changing the design of the streets, complaining about narrow lanes, which we know slows people down and makes everyone safer, but they refuse to listen. It takes a lot for a council anywhere to actually stick their necks out to make these things happen. Because despite the fact that so many people want them, the loud people are still clenching the status quo, (laughs) despite the fact that people are getting killed at an increasing pace. It's just beyond me. When are we going to be able to put people in office that are willing to put safety above vehicle miles traveled and the speed of automobiles? Well, here we are with Bike Talk on the KPFK live stream. Now on Zoom because of uh, all this madness mm-hmm. with COVID. Mm-hmm. But it uh, makes it a whole lot easier, huh? Except that we can't really hang out together and drink beers in the studio. Uh, that, that was never actually me doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's true. <clears throat> so... Today, we're bringing Nithya back on, right? Yes. So she, I think since the last time, we we had her on before the primary. And she... Sorry, but, but, you know, we might have listeners from, you know... Okay, so we've got Nithya Nithya Rahman, who is a candidate for Council District 4 here in Los Angeles. We have 15 council districts, 15 seats on the city council. And they're very powerful positions. Each uh, council person is responsible for 250,000 people or so. And uh, their districts are divided up kind of funky. Like, uh, what do they call that? Um, Gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. And for Council District 4, that is an interesting layout it's basically uh terrence houston calls it nimby stand which means that council district is kind of divided up between a lot of uh the more wealthier homeowner type uh constituency in los Feliz hollywood it goes all the way out to sherman oaks and hancock park but it also has a big chunk of uh koreatown and um it's kind of all over the place. So there's the constituency is definitely mixed class, but it's just kind of a weird district. And right now we've got uh, someone in there, David Rue, who is himself was kind of an anti-establishment figure when he came in, although he was endorsed by the Democratic Party, he's now become establishment. 
but he was kind of a finger in the eye to the previous council member, Tom LaBonge. So now um, Rue is not really performing very well. And especially with the bike community, David Ryu is a huge disappointment. In fact, he's basically sided with, um, you know, automotive interests on a lot of issues and, you know, with safe streets and so forth. And uh, so now we're excited about Nithya because she is a progressive and she understands that transportation can't just be all about cars. So we're excited about her. And she's progressive on a lot of other issues too, including uh, homelessness, housing, you know, the, the big issues of the day. So she damn near, uh, I won't say damn near won the primary, but it was very close, especially considering uh, the, the incumbent who usually wins these things. Like the incumbent has won these races for 30 years now. So it's a, so it was a big, a big deal that she came in a close second and there was a third candidate. I forget her name, but basically if that third candidate wasn't there, I have a feeling Nithya would have taken it. So we're now at the general election and Nithya has quite a team of volunteers working for her. I was doing some phone banking the last couple of nights on zoom and I mean, there was an army of people on Zoom phone banking. It was kind of insane. I, I haven't seen anything like that. And wow. um, there's a lot of excitement for Nithya. And I think Ryu's in trouble and he knows it. And he's been running some attack ads, which also was a sign, you know, that he knows he's in trouble. And uh, we want to, you know, we're going to have her on and we're going to talk to her and see how the campaign's going from from her angle and get an update because we haven't talked to her in a while. Um, the last interview we did with, with her was uh, in the studio and it was, it was a great interview. Do we have yes. her on? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Welcome to the show, Nithya. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. How Hi. are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 11 days left. That's it. 11 days left. How are you feeling? You know, I'm feeling really, um, I'm feeling so positive in so many ways. Uh, as you mentioned, there has been a, an absolute deluge of negative advertising over the past few days, uh, much of it making really kind of horrifying assertions about me, my family, my policy platforms, and that's been really dispiriting. But I have to say that the, the momentum and the movement around this moment and around this campaign have only been intensifying. And it's just been really such a privilege to be a part of that. I, you know, I've been an observer of LA city politics for a long time. And I have to say like this kind of joy in thinking of a new city and thinking about the future of our city, like I haven't felt this before. And it's, it's, really, it's really remarkable to be a part of it. Yeah, you you kind of uh, you're bringing a new conversation to the table, especially around homeless issues. I remember from our last our last time we had you on the show, um, you you really painted a, a picture of what a solution could look like. 
And I think that's a major, um, you know, it's one of the biggest issues right now. So um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I got into this race because of my frustrations with the city on homelessness. It's far from the only issue I care about. It's far from the only issue we've centered in the campaign. But I do think that one of the things that I think we really bring to the table, which is so important, is an answer to how do the next four years look different from the last five years? How do we actually respond to homelessness in ways that are really going to reduce the numbers of people who are living on our streets and get, you know, really getting people into services and into housing? And how do we stop the fall of people into homelessness? Because that's been a big driver of change. One thing that I talked about last time, which I want to just highlight again, and I released a little video about this today, is in thinking through how we deliver services to people. Often when I talk to folks, they ask me, well, people who are homeless sometimes have mental illness. And I, yes, some of them do. What we need to do is set up a system through which we are doing proactive outreach to residents who are experiencing homelessness, even if they have vulnerabilities like mental illness or substance abuse, repeated interactions between people experiencing homelessness and caseworkers who are trained to handle those issues can effectively get people housed. This is evidence-based. It's been shown to work over and over again. Here in Los Angeles, a mental health caseworker, if you're lucky, visits an encampment once a month or less. That is not enough. Uh, and so and an outreach worker visits an encampment proactively very, very rarely. And most of the time, we don't know how often they're going out. This has to be a neighborhood-based um, approach. It has to be uh, the same people who are assigned to the same neighborhood, the same um, encampments, building up those relationships and really kind of setting up our system of services for success, making sure we're actually enabling people to get housed. And that, you know, that to me is a big part of the change that I want to see. It also gives people who are living in that, like I often talk to businesses, business, small business owners, for example, who sometimes will have people come into their stores or people be sleeping outside of, um, you know, their doorway. And they don't want, they want to help those individuals. We haven't given those people a number to call or a, a place to um, get involved with, with homelessness. That is not the police. And, you know, let's, let's give them that option. Let's make sure you're calling your neighborhood outreach worker. Let's make sure that person every single time an individual who uh, is experiencing homelessness is getting, you know, uh, getting a call, you know, getting a contact from, from someone in the city that it's not just an outreach worker, but an outreach worker whose name they already know, you know, that, that is a transformative system to me. And, or, and I'm really excited to, um, to, to put that in place all over, you know, all over the district. Now, do you like people have been calling for variations on like, you know, defund the police and so forth and reallocating money that we spend. We spend so much money on the police, uh, reallocating that money to this kind of services that you're talking about. Is that some of the, I mean, it could be a controversial thing to, to, to uh, say, but is that kind of where we would find funding for this to I mean, increase services or what do you think? Yeah, some of that funding, I think for what we're doing can be just transferred over from our existing very broken response to homelessness. You know, I think we're spending a lot of money and seeing very few results. So I do think there's quite a bit of money in the system itself that could be reoriented to be put towards this method. But absolutely, I think that we should be, you know, 
the LA Times uh, did this study of calls for service for the LAPD and found that only 8% of calls for service were for violent crime. You know, so I think what that tells me is that right now, armed police are being sent out for a whole range of things for which armed police may not be, not just may not be necessary, but actually may be actively inappropriate and may escalate situations like if people are having mental health issues or, or something like that. And I think absolutely we could be funding unarmed responders for non-urgent calls related to homeless encampments. And we would save money, honestly, because it's probably cheaper to fund a social worker than it is to fund an armed police officer going out. And we would actually probably have much better results um, in terms of actually addressing the root cause of that call for service, which is that someone is struggling and experiencing homelessness and needs to get into services and into a home. Um, I'm, you know, I'm really curious too, just from your perspective at um, at Bike Talk, uh, you know, for me, this race has been so obviously it's my whole life. Um, but it's also been interesting because I feel like in so many ways in our district, we are seeing that this race is exciting for people to be engaged with, that people are volunteering and turning out in numbers that are pretty high. And we actually, um, we got word that there was a comparison of early voting returns from across different council districts in, in the city. And our district's early voting returns are much higher than other districts. And the, I think the driver of that is actually a local race. It's our race. And that, you know, to me, that's really amazing. That's, you know, in LA for local politics to be driving voter turnout and voter participation, as opposed to national politics driving it, that to me is a sign of how much excitement this race has garnered and how much energy there is in it. And it's, it's, it's really exciting. It is. I've seen a lot of, I mean, maybe I'm just in a bubble on Facebook or something, but I see a lot of people posting about it. You know, the, the folks at Ground Game and, and uh, you know, I'm friends with Jessica Salins, who's your, uh, works for your team. Um, but it's, it's pretty exciting. And, and like I said, like the phone banking, um, there was a ton of volunteers. So man, this is good news. And it's even, it has gone national in a way because. Oh yeah, that's right. Hugely national. You have Bernie Sanders endorsed you, which is amazing. Oh, I didn't but even know that. In response. Yeah, totally. Love oh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie. Yeah. Um, but in response to that, the incumbent uh, got, you know, Hillary Clinton and, uh, uh, Diane Feinstein and um, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi to endorse him, and it's sort of like, do you really want those endorsements? I mean, Diane Feinstein right now is acting like a total Republican, but uh, okay, all right. But, but you know, I think for me, it's kind of exciting because I mean, obviously, it's it's all one that this local race has suddenly been this place where all these national figures are getting involved. That to me is a sign that whatever we're doing, like it has become relevant for people in some way, you know, and that's really exciting. But the other thing that I think it was pretty clear from these endorsements coming in is I think there's a very clear dividing line in the party, you know, between a kind of more traditional corporate Democrat that takes a lot of corporate money and what 
you know, the Bernie Sanders, the Elizabeth Warrens, the, the more progressive wing. And, and that line is, is pretty stark, you know, and in a city like Los Angeles, where it, you know, everyone is a Democrat. I think that is the primary dividing line that is, that is defining our city. And right now what we're seeing is this real kind of, I think, struggle between what does the city look like going forward? Is it going to be this super traditional political machine that continues to prop up incumbents despite years of failure and actions that are in, you know, I think in many ways are actively harmful to residents, you know, or is it going to be a new day? Is it going to be this, this movement that takes city hall and says, let, we have a city where our, our values are so clear. Our needs are so apparent, are so strong, are so powerful. And are we going to have a city hall that represents those values that really addresses our needs? It could be, you know, it's phenomenal. It's really like it's, it could be a phenomenal change. And, you know, I think no matter what happens in this election, that story, that movement towards a different kind of city, that's already in the works. That's already happening. Like that story has been written and, and we'll keep writing it, you know, November 4th and onwards, no matter what. And I oh bring God. it from this uh, very big perspective, broad perspective, down to something that you talked about in the other time appearance you came on. You said that you feel that we need a network of protected bike lanes that's actually, yeah. that actually go somewhere. Yeah. And um, a radical thought, I know. And I've been talking to some people like at Streets for All about um, what they're trying to do and, and mobility. The, the LA has its own mobility plan, mobility plan 30, 2035, that we can't get implemented. And a lot of it has to do with uh, city council uh, or lack of any uh, will there. So I just wanted to throw that out there about how um, that's a thing about bikes. I just wanted to throw out. Oh yeah, I know. Sorry. We are on bike talk. <laughs> talk that much about bikes. I, you know, I totally agree that this is a lack of political will that has prevented us from being able to implement the mobility plan. And I think if you look at the, the expressed wishes of residents across the city, I think residents have expressed over and over again, like for example, in their overwhelming support for Measure M, uh, in in all kinds of ways that they want alternatives to automobile transit. You know that they want investment in that, that they want that space for them. And yet, when we have these investments in our roadways um, that are that are in the plan, we don't do them because I think a few loud voices have held our city government hostage, have held our city council hostage. And I think that's part of why I think that this more widespread participation in city council politics is really important because I really do believe that the majority of residents want that mobility plan implemented. They just didn't know that it wasn't. They didn't know that it's there. They don't know what it's going to take uh, in order to actually get it done. And, and the fact that that political will is missing but the people who didn't want it implemented knew that. And so they participated and they stood in its way. And I think now we have an opportunity to have a lot more people engaged in, the, in these local issues. And I think Streets for All has been part of that, pushing for more 
um, you know, more engagement at the at on these issues. Obviously, bike the vote has been that's their express purpose. You know, is to say we have more bicyclists than we have voters that usually turn out for city council races. Although that theory may not be as uh, as accurate anymore. Um, but but I think this is it, right? This is we have to we have to politicians have to have the political will. But also, I think we are we need to build movements that show that that political will really ex that political um, excitement for these things really exists. And I feel like both of these things are are hopefully happening now, um, and and will and 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 hopefully that push forward will continue. I also think there's one other thing that I I think is really interesting about this particular moment in LA, which is really fascinating to me, uh, which has contributed to to every to so much of what has happened in this campaign, at least, which is that I think the costs of not doing this kind of thing are in our face in a way that they weren't even five years ago, right? So the costs of not implementing real protections for tenants are, the evidence is on our streets, you know? The costs of not investing in real services for people experiencing homelessness, the evidence is everywhere. The costs of not providing people real options for getting out of their cars is clear now in our in our terrible and toxic air. You know, and I think that every day you see your phone and you see that little terrible air, um, you know, that little logo or whatever icon. And I think it's an everyday kind of a reminder that the, the our failures to take action on these are having not just immediate consequences, but palpable consequences that are that are that are deadly in many ways, you know. And so I do think we're at this moment where this lack of action on something like mobility plan, we can push back against that because people feel an urgency to take action. And and there's there's this sort of entrenched policy regime in the LADOT where um, you know they they do they do a ton of meetings for something like a safety improvement. They'll do like a ton of public meetings about it, and then when it comes to doing like a road widening or a lane widening, they'll do like one meeting. And this is an actual right. like this is their policy. Right. You know, it's right. like right. It's, or, it seems entrenched in the agencies too. You right. Know? And, and, and so, for example, one of the things that as I've been calling residents that keeps coming up is how hard it is to get safety improvements on streets, how hard it is to request a speed hump, how hard it is to request a stop sign, uh, and that uh, how hard it is to try and slow this, slow the speeds on dangerous streets, you know, and, and again, we make it very easy to do the opposite and very hard to do this and and yes i do think that's a bureaucratic issue but i also think that is you know and i've had disagreements with how much control an individual one individual city council member could have over kind of the dot or whatever but i do think our electeds have to be demanding that these things change you know and have to be asking for these changes in order for the bureaucracy to actually respond because i I don't think that demand is there within our city right now. Yeah, there's only a few council members. I have maybe one or two that like, you know, Mike Bonin or something who really kind of sticks his neck out to uh, put in safety improvements. And uh, he gets he gets whipped for it by, 
you know, people from out like like when he did a, a safety improvement over on Venice, it was like John and Ken, which is these shock jocks, like got involved and oh, I know got, who John and Ken are. Yeah, and it's just like like wow, you know, these are this is from way outside of Los Angeles. You know, their their whole reach is like beyond Los Angeles for sure. Anyways, um, you know, you yeah, we we don't want to take up all your time, but uh, you know, we love talking to you. And, yeah, thank and, you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. I wish that we had been able to do this earlier, but what a weird time in the world right now. <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll have the access to the. So City Hall. No. <laughs> yeah, the evil bike lobby will have a little, so a little bit of access to City Hall, maybe, hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. And, um, for having me, and I'll, I'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, Thank good you. luck, and uh, we'll see you soon. Cool. Ooh, yeah, we got to get out well, there. We do some phone <laughs> banking phone banking for Nithya. So uh, please everybody get out there and sign up. It's uh, Nithya for the city.com. Is it.com? It's.com. We didn't even do her uh, web address. We got to do that. But uh, everybody that, you know, get out there and, and volunteer on this local level. This is really important. So next up we have, are we doing Cynthia Rose first or are we doing Colin? Cynthia. Well, we could bring them all on. Oh, we'll bring them all on. You, you want me to? Yeah, you go for it. All right. It's we a party. Have, it's, yeah. You know each other. It's a, it's a bike party. Yeah, you and you yeah. and Colin. We have Cynthia Rose, uh, President of Santa Monica Spoke, and Colin Bogart, recent uh, LACBC Education Director, LA County Bicycle Coalition. Um, Pasadena Complete Police Coalition Steering Committee member and and oh. former board and former board member of lacbc okay if we're, if we're gonna go way back yeah oh is that for you cynthia or for colin no that's colin, colin. that's both colin and cynthia yes okay oh both of you yes and are you uh cynthia are you still on the board or no i, I just uh joined the board for the second time okay and then we have ryan henry who is the director do you want to take it away, Nick? Spokespeople, who, which was a documentary we found out about when we were doing the Better Cities Film Festival. And Colin's in it. And there's a clip I want to play. And it all comes back around to what Cynthia is going to talk about, which is Santa Monica's new protected bike lanes. Santa Monica just recently adopted their uh, an, an addend, amendment to their bike action plan to officially add protected bike lanes. Now that might sound like, well, protected bike lanes have been around for a while, but um, many people don't understand that those were test projects or those were exceptions. So when our bike plan was written in 2011, they were not um, part of the, the MUTCD or the, the, the nationwide traffic manual. So. Uh, anything that we did put in was had to have exceptions and all these other things. So I digress, but um, we, the city decided to do a bike amendment to the plan to add these protected bike lanes. And in with that, we have a five-year vision 
and a 20-year vision of projects that uh, within the five-year vision that are doable, obviously within the first five years, um, that are, if you could call them low-hanging fruit, everything takes work, obviously, but um, they are, uh, they will require the least, they're doable within five years, according to the city. And then we have some long-term visions and some future wish projects. Uh, this was unanimous, unanimously adopted by council uh, last Tuesday. And um, we'll see an interconnected network of um, protected bike lanes, really creating a spine of not only north-south, but east-west uh, protected bike lanes within the city and the future, uh, what is it called? Future priority connections will connect those even further out from the, this center spine. One of these uh, projects has been in the works for several years and that's on 17th street. And that takes um, the protected facilities from Wilshire Boulevard uh, all the way over to the college. And one of those connections is to the Metro station. So that provides a lot of connectivity for first mile, last mile uh, with the train and with buses and also to the Michigan Avenue Greenway, which is a connection for most of, for the a, a big majority of the schools in Santa Monica, that connection will happen. So either via the Greenway, which is a slow street, if people don't know, and then with these protected bike lanes. What is exciting, however, is beyond just this, um, well, with the beginning of this adopted amendment is kind of jumping up to the front of the line. We have two-way protected bike lanes going in on Ocean Avenue and construction should start mm. November, as in next month, November, not next year, November. And that, as many people know who do this, is just doesn't happen very often. So we're, to say we're pleased would be an understatement. Uh, it's going to be not only a connectivity for uh, safer biking, uh, it's also going to provide some economic support for businesses that are along Ocean Avenue, because on the north side of the street, or I'm sorry, on the east side of the street, the bike lane is going to be on the ocean side or the west side, and the and that'll be a two-way cycle track. However, the northbound lane will continue on the north side of the street, on the east side of the street. So we'll have uh, both. Are fantastic. You... fantastic to hear that, yeah. And then the businesses will have outdoor dining that will actually take up the entire sidewalk and where that might be a red flag at other times it's um the city has proactively decided they're going to build like a wooden boardwalk so that the bike so that the sidewalk goes around those uh areas that are outdoor dining so that you don't have pedestrians crossing through an area where people are eating which is 
you know, if you're paying attention and, and, you, and you're concerned about the spread and, and, and preventing the spread of this virus, we don't want people sitting down that don't have masks on with people walking by that may or may not have masks on. So they will have wooden boardwalks that will go around those that'll actually go into what would have been the parking lane. So how did this get- so the bike lane? The bike lanes survive through there then? The bike lanes are not getting uh, affected by that? No, the bike lane. So we have bike lanes right now. We have green buffer. I think there's buffers on both sides, but I'm not positive. But we have green. We have green lanes that are go north south on ocean right now. But there is parking, and oftentimes we have big um, food trucks that are parked along the ocean side of the street, the west side of the street, um, and now what we will do is we'll have the a two-way cycle track on the west side of ocean and the northbound side will actually continue with a bike lane so if people are just coming northbound from uh and and they don't mind riding on a bike lane that is not protected they'll have that option as well amazing santa monica amazing <laughs> and you'd think that that would be a party for everyone but of course you know as you were talking about before you have the people that are uh, that are staunchly against this and that there's wasted money and that and that all these other things and i'm i'm i you know i bring this up because as wonderful as these things are we have to always be prepared for the people who just hate everything Right. And, and want to keep the status quo and want it doesn't we had a pedestrian killed in the crosswalk the same day that we adopted these protected bike lanes mm. and today we had another crash in the very same intersection and yet people will still yell about keeping their rights to drive maintaining speeds and not changing the design of the streets complaining about narrow lanes, which we have data that we know slows people down and makes everyone safer, but they refuse to listen. So it, it takes a lot for a council or, or it, in Santa Monica or anywhere to actually stick their necks out and make, to make these things happen. Because despite the fact that, that so many people want them, the loud people are still, are still clenching the status quo <laughs> uh despite the fact that they people are getting killed at, a, at an increasing pace and that and that the it's just beyond me every every day i just have a hard time with it today has not been a good we week to, for that. I think we need to hire some loud guys to talk to them get loud at loud back at them or something well, we we don't need to necessarily hire people this would be a good time to <laughs> get the the Ryan in, Ryan McKenney in, and talk about spokespeople, because I think our clip really goes to what Cynthia was just saying, and then it's a good way of introducing Colin too. But Ryan, you wanna just give us some um, introduction to your movie and yourself? Sure, thanks so much, Nick, yeah. Um, my name is Ryan Henry McKenney, and I uh, directed Spokespeople, which is a short 20, uh, 23 minute documentary which chronicles different uh, aspects of the bicycling community in Los Angeles. And so spokespeople, you talk to a lot of the people that we talk to on Bike Talk, starts with uh, Jimmy Lizama, who started the Bike Kitchen and right. 
and then it goes into it's pretty current. You did this recently because it talks about the about uh, Frederick Woon Fraser, who was killed and uh, in a hit and run. Right. We we shot this in January and February, and up through February, uh, there were still scheduled hearings for for the case uh, around Woon. And and it goes to what we're talking about with protected lanes. So I'd like to play this clip. Great. Justice for Wong is not just for Wong because we're seeking justice for all. We're seeking justice for all the riders, all of the pedestrians, all of the cyclists that are being injured, that have been injured, that have been killed. More than 100 cyclists riding for miles tonight. Where 22 year old Frederick Frazier was killed on his bike Tuesday. My goal is to stiffen the bike laws, period. We need bike lanes. They need lights. They need yielding signs. Some of these accidents are happening because the people are never even seen. You know, you would have no right to be in a bike lane if there was one. Why would you drive in that? In the case of Woon, that's an example of if, if there had been, say, a protected bike lane on that street, then it would have been nearly impossible for the driver to have hit him where they did. Um, so in that regard, we can say that the collision itself was potentially, uh, was preventable. Well, that was short, but I think it was a good way of introducing Colin, who has spent how many years working on just this issue? Oh my goodness, uh, I've, I had a lot. <laughs> 20, I think I started volunteering for LACVC in 2000. But before uh, that, you came from Glendale. Uh, well, that was after. No, no, that was sort of mixed in there. Um, yeah, I worked, I, I mean, I was a staff member at LACBC for uh, 11 plus years. Oh, okay. Uh, and the first three years was working on a project that was specifically focused on Glendale. It was a LA County Department of Public Health grant that partnered LACBC with the city of Glendale. And so I worked there embedded at City Hall wasn't that wasn't that 2011 Colin because that's when the chapter started it ended the the project ended uh in 2011 it went from yeah. 2000 it went from 2008 to 2011 and 2011 just before the grant ran out we we the whole goal was to create some kind of policy document and a demonstration project in Glendale um but the additional things that came out of that project was the the city's bike master plan ended up being uh, revised or you know redone after sitting around for a long time and also it, it essentially sp um, spawned the creation of the Glendale chapter of LACBC um, Walk Bike Glendale so there was a lot of good things that came out of that yeah did you so it spawned the creation of Walk Bike Glendale did you I, I somehow got the impression you had something to do with the creation of that. Yeah, I, I yeah. did. I'm being sort of modest, I guess. I mean, I don't want to take all the credit because there were people living in Glendale who were very passionate and and were heavily involved. So I can't, I guess I'm hesitant to say I did it because it wasn't just me. It was a, it was a group of people. So I was part of it. Um, and, I, and oddly enough, that the creation of that chapter wasn't really officially a goal of that grant project it was it was a wonderful benefit though for sure and and santa monica spoke it's still a 
affiliated with LACBC, Cynthia? Yeah. So we, we launched the chapter program as the first chapter in 2009, early 2009. And that's when Colin was still at Glendale doing that. And as we uh, kind of catalyzed the, the chapters and built a, a foundation, that's when Walk by Glendale was, at, I, was it, did it start as Walk by Glendale? That's what the first name was, wasn't it, Colin? Yeah, I think they, I think they, they were very, intent on having it be biking and walking right from the start. Yeah. So we had walk bike after we um, we proposed the chapters to LACBC and we had the uh, full support of Jen, who was in leadership at the time, uh, and the board. Uh, walk bike Glendale Jen as Klausner. a project, Jen Klausner, well Jen Jacobson, uh, then Klausner. Um, our fearless leader who brought LACBC from where it was to, yeah, from 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 a tiny little nebule into some a big organization. Um, so it's Walk by Glendale and the South Pay Bike Coalition, and both of those chapters. And I believe that's uh, a little bit after that was when Walk was when. Culver City joined uh, and that was the same sort of thing where they had a bicycle advisory committee and when that committee ended they decided to create um, to, to stay working together and create a chapter and join the chapter program. So yeah, the, the Culver yeah. City the Culver City group started kind of came out of also a, a place grant a public health grant project to create a bike master plan and they had a committee um, formed for that. And, um, somebody named Megan Solly Wells was a member of that committee. <laughs> uh, then later on, obviously, as we all know, became a significant player in, in Culver City and beyond. So a lot of good things. We, we, I miss the old days of, uh, the public health department funding <laughs> big projects. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Now, what is that? What is that? Can you, they've stopped? Uh, yeah, I mean, the place grant, um, yeah, it's sort of a different focus now, I think. I don't know, it's a There's, bit of a tangent, got, I think. You know, I'm, I'm thinking you're such a, a, a resource. I mean, the, you're like a walking uh, library of things like what you just said that a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't happen to know. And uh, so what are you doing now? Uh, well, um, yeah, so I, you know, I got laid off, uh, from LACBC. I was unemployed for a while. And then I've actually, uh, just recently, uh, got hired to a nonprofit here in Pasadena. That's where I live is Pasadena. Um, got hired onto a nonprofit called day one. And, um, what I'm working on is I am their active transportation program coordinator, and they're currently working on a a contract project with the city to do safe routes to school programming for nine schools in Pasadena that are among the lower income schools of the community. And um, uh, it, everything was going like normal until the pandemic hit. And so um, right now, everything that we're doing is very much focused on kind of virtual activities um, and you know, getting the kids to go out and do things that are active and using social media 
to make it fun and engaging as much as we can. And it's really just a matter of, you know, when and if, you know, kids go back to school, we can actually start doing your traditional safe routes to school uh, programming projects like walking school buses, bike trains, um, you know, bike safety classes. They were going to create a co-op at one of the high schools uh, and, you know, and teach bike maintenance to a lot of the students and then have them teach each other. So there's all kinds of great ideas that were set to, to move forward. And a lot of it, unfortunately, is on hold right now. So we're just kind of we're hanging in there and doing the best we can with the situation. And then hopefully um, once things go back to quote unquote normal, uh, we'll see some of that usual activity. So that's what I'm up to. And then I'm also, I've been volunteering a lot of my time. There's a local group in Pasadena called the Pasadena Complete Streets Coalition, which I have been active with since I moved to Pasadena about five years ago. Uh, and I just recently became a steering committee member um, so I'm, I'm official now with the group. Um, hey, Colin, we, we partnered with Day One for the Motherlode movie back in uh, May. Yeah, uh, Day One, Day One's a pretty amazing, they've been around for like 30 plus years. Um, I did not know who they were, but it was, it was really nice to partner with them and a lot of other regional organizations to do the, the movie screening of Motherlode. Yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome. They're an awesome group, uh, awesome organization, a really good group of people to work with too. So, so I've landed awesome. in a good space. Congrats! Thanks. It's, um, it's pretty wild. My yeah. my, if if I had to commute to the office, it would be two miles. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, but everybody's working remotely for the most part. So, but that's what I've been up to, and then just kind of trying to follow along with everything that's going on still. But I'm, I, you know. Admittedly, I've been pretty focused on Pasadena specifically, um, which, by the way, I want to say, you know, I saw the announcement about protected bike lanes in Santa Monica, and I believe the number is like 19 miles, right? Uh, uh, yeah, something like that. And that's just the five-year plan. That's not the larger one. I, I sent Nick uh, a uh, link to the article in the map. Got it. I mean... What I found interesting is that, you know, just, just based on square mileage for, for the city, I compared, I was comparing Santa Monica to Pasadena and if Pasadena were to do a comparable amount of miles based on square mileage, it'd be like 51 miles of protected bike lanes. And I haven't even gotten around to trying to calculate based on land mass, how many miles of protected bike lanes that would be in city of LA. Yeah, uh, we're, we're eight and a half square miles, and that includes ocean. Yeah, that's, I, I noticed that, that, that ocean is included in the calculation. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't quite understand yeah. why, but yeah. Yeah. It's seven and a half or eight and a half square miles, but it's part of that is, is actually ocean. Not, yeah. not Ocean Avenue, but actually water. Water, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> but to kind of bring everything back, the protected bike lane issue, and, and so I want to, I kind of want to, bring it back to, to Ryan and his documentary is that, you know, he came and interviewed, uh, his crew came and interviewed me uh, and some of the other LACBC staff, like, you know, last winter. And- um, That's right. So, 
and we also saw you at the at the, one of the pretrial hearings for uh, the woman who killed Wound Frazier, and it was postponed, which was very frustrating. Right. Um, but you know, the point being, of course, is that you know, I mean, I went I went to a new I went to a march that they did one time and saw exactly where he was killed, and it was it was a mid block location. And so, yeah, my whole point was like, well, if there, if there were a protected bike lane here, it would have been next to impossible for the driver. Cause he was riding in the, in the parking lane or the lane that was like part-time parking and part-time open to traffic. And right. um, if there'd been a protected bike lane there, uh, it would have been nearly impossible for, for them to drive in and, and, and kill him like that. Um, you know, I, you know, at that location, Manchester and Normandy, you know, on one of the nights of the vigils that they had to uh, bring some awareness to this issue, there was another hit and run that happened at the vigil at the same intersection. So it's it's one of those sort of continual problems, uh, problem spaces, um, not having uh, some organized traffic there. Yeah, that was an amazing part of the story. That I don't know. I mean, uh, probably most people don't it's just things pass through people's awareness and uh, but that somebody at the vigil for the hit and run a victim was hit by hit and run at the vigil yeah and the whole thing was captured on video too which is just unbelievable um right i remember when when the... wasn't wasn't the hit and run at the vigil kind of perceived as on purpose yeah it was an aggressive okay. aggressive so move. that that's yeah yeah yeah, it was somebody who was very angry that that there was a bunch of people protesting in the street and it was slowing them down or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. So they sped through the crowd and hit somebody. Um, and it was all captured on videos. It, it was crazy. Um, so what's the strategy for... You guys talk about strat... Like, what is the really... Uh, are there probably many strategies, but it seems like having a really simple objective would would help in some cases. Like you, we need a network of protected bike lanes that goes everywhere that people need to go. I, yeah, I, mean, I, I, would, I would say, if go I ahead. may, it, it, it goes, it, this, is, this is, I mean, protected bike lanes are what we're talking about tonight, but this is road safety. This is about safety for everyone who is on the road. Uh, for instance, like the person who was, who was struck and killed here in Santa Monica in a crosswalk. So if we can't go out and walk or bike or drive without fear of being killed by people who refuse to follow the rules or by designs to the road that don't encourage people to be safe, then we're, we're, all, we're at risk every time we walk out of our house. And that's obviously a ridiculous burden to carry for a society. And when do we get beyond that? When do we figure out that our safety is more important than one person's desire to get to their doctor's appointment or their job or their run or wherever or the next, they're going? The, the next red light. <laughs> or the next red light, exactly. Even, yeah, exactly. So when, when, is, when are we going to be able to put people in office that are willing to put safety above vehicle miles traveled and the, and the speed of, of, of automobiles and that's like 
your our first guest tonight your first guest it's like this is this is it's it's it should it seems so simple when we're talking about it and yet we've been working for decades to get this done and it's you know in addition to road safety i think it's also in los angeles it's a mentality shift this is a car centric yes. city the driver rules all and uh and i just think that i just think that there's something here that makes drivers feel entitled to the road um, and not and not really just having a basic level of respect for uh, pedestrians, cyclists, uh, protesters, whatever it might be, but just to know that there's other you know priorities, other people in the city. People that are hurt or killed are somehow perceived as some unavoidable casualty to mobility, and that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's and like I you got struck by lightning. It's it's like yeah, it's like this is some act of unavoidableness that if if we expect to be able to move for our daily activities there will be fallout and people will die that is not that is not a, a, a cause and effect of what it's going on we can't we can't we know why these things happen and we know we have ways to change that and very similar to what you were talking about earlier when people unfortunately see their status quo being threatened, they will, they will come out of the woodwork from places that are not even related, like the, like the, like the guys, the, the, the DJs that came in with Venice Boulevard. They don't ever travel Venice Boulevard, but yet they're going, their status quo is threatened. So they're going to step up to protect it. There's a lot it's of, a there's a lot of, uh, money and infrastructure that has gone into reshaping Los Angeles in the last 70 years. You know, there's billions of dollars of car advertising and there's a lot of lobby money in our politics that uh, pushes things towards, you know, car dependency. And it's been going on for yeah, a lot of invisible factors that are just starting to get identified. Yeah, because if you look at Los Angeles, the original street grids were not designed for cars. They were like little bergs with uh, oil fields and farmland between them. And in the time since, they've designed so much of L.A. to be car dependent that uh, it's 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 a huge uphill battle to, to return LA to what it once was the pedestrian transit type city that it was. Yep. Definitely. And I think, um, Nithya was mentioned it, you know, when you said, Nick, you were like, what's the strategy? I mean, she mentioned it right there at the kind of at the end of that, your discussion with her, she was talking about the mobility plan. I mean, this, the city of LA has a plan for this, it's a matter of implementation. Um, it's a pretty good plan, actually. It just needs to be implemented. And um, right now it's not being, for the most part. And that's a common theme, I think, will. in a lot of places. Political will, it's gotta get sold. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta get sold to people by whoever's gonna do the selling, but, People have been sold on car culture for so long 
you got to sell them on something else. And that's going to take a lot of energy and a lot of schmoozing. And I don't think that that needs to be sold is, you know, we talk a lot about an interconnected network of of bike lanes and and that sounds sort of like an amazing sort of thing, but actually I think it's about little pockets of safe spaces that sort of add up to a bigger city of uh, that has these you know for instance i lived in new york city for 12 years and i used to live in astoria queens and work in midtown manhattan in times square and to get there most of my travel was over you know the queensborough bridge and and then central park and very little was on actual surface streets it was you know it was sort of put together by these sort of other major so i think it's maybe about an interconnected network but it's also about having these little stretches of things you know the Bayona Creek bike path the the Santa Monica bike path it's about having these little uh you know interconnected networks within the smaller areas that sort of add up to a larger uh feeling of Los Angeles being bikeable I think that's that's kind of the the mantra that we we talk about when we talk about bike education because we educate people to be able to ride safely on the streets in different kinds of infrastructure. If we had every penny that we wanted right now, it would still take us decades to redesign our streets for safety. So it it is about those pockets because those pockets at some point will get connected, but we need to teach people how to survive in what we have now because with the unimaginable best case scenario, it's going to take us decades to make streets safer, unfortunately. You know, you're making it hard to edit this, Cynthia, because I, I put the sound bites before the theme music and <laughs> the in the edited one, and you've said like five sound bites already. So I can't decide which I won't be able to. Everything you, um, yeah, choices. Yeah. Like in Santa Monica, we're still talking about these protected bike lanes, but one of the comments on our, our uh, post about that was um, using explore. It's like, how can this take so effing long? And it's, it's an understandable response, but I think all of us are reminded unfortunately over and over again that these projects most often do not happen very quickly they take three years four years five years our ocean park boulevard protected bike or uh green bike lanes was a 20-year project part of the connectivity in the new bike plan amendment is an over 20 year vision of connecting, reconnecting Michigan Avenue, which was uh, which was cut in half by the 10 freeway. So it's like these things take a long time and they take, it's exhausting. And I think that um, to, you know, having people like Colin around, if I may say having people like me around who've been around for, you know, I'm going into the 11th year here working with bike advocacy just in my city, but keeping a view and a pulse on on regional and national news. It's 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 exhausting. And and Colin, I think you, maybe you can um, help me shed light on this. But most executive directors at 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 uh, bike advocacy organizations don't even make it to 10 years. 
uh, I'd say most executive directors at a lot of nonprofits don't make it that long. I mean, it's yep. it's considered exceptional if you're an executive director at a nonprofit, even over five years, I think. So um, there's there's change there. That's one part. Um, you've also got the fact that city why, why, staff. I'm sorry. Why why is that? I think there's just it's turnover. exhausting. It's exhausting. There's probably yeah. There's probably burnout. Honestly, I think. You know, it's just, it's kind of a thing with any particular nonprofit. I think that there's, it, it's so much, it's usually so much work and so draining that after a certain period, you know, whoever's executive director is like, okay, I'm ready for a change. I need, I'm, I'm burnt. And, what about people like, like um, Don, you know, who just come in for the skirmishes? <laughs> Which is great. Is that exhausting? Great. Hey, I've done some things uh, besides skirmishes, my friend. <laughs> yes, he has. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, you need everybody. You need marketers too. You need people like Ryan to make great films that show that, that, that promote culture and sell culture and sell a new vision to people that hadn't thought about it before. I think it's important to remind people that they have the power over themselves and in LA that power has been stripped away. You don't really have the option to get around uh, how you want to. You're sort of uh, confined to this car culture. You, you know, that choice has been ripped away from you. So I think it's about promoting that people have power over their own mobility. They have choice over their own mobility and, and, and that really is a freedom that has been taken away. And I don't think people have realized that it's been taken away from them actually. Yeah, you know- And I think, um, and I think part, of the part of that is is that is that even when it, it isn't taken away, it feels taken away. So you you actually they actually succeed in removing an option when you still have it there, but you are convinced that you don't have it. If that makes sense. I think it's uh you know I think it's also partly, yeah. I mean it's you know I grew up in the suburbs of suburbs of L.A. and you know, it wasn't really until I took a, my first trip to San Francisco and took BART that all of a sudden I had this epiphany. I was like, wait, how come we don't have something like this in LA? This is crazy. <laughs> I just went from, I just went from San Francisco to Berkeley to go visit some friends from high school or going to college at UC Berkeley. And it was so easy and it was pleasant. Why? What the hell? Um, then you find out that we did have it. Yeah, yeah. And then later you find out we did have actually, we did have that, um, but it was removed. So it's nuts. So yeah, I think part of it too is just total lack of aware. You know, people just don't even realize that there's this option that's not been made available for a long, long time. I mean, that's part of what's exciting about the expansion of, of transit in, in LA County in general. Um, as long as they don't, uh, as long as they don't blow it and violate anybody's space, I guess is the best way to put that. As long as they're... And I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Don. You were going to say something. Don, I see you squinting. <laughs> uh, well, blow it. I mean, there's, I have a whole bunch of opinions on that, but... but <laughs> well, I think Metro, I think Metro is blowing it because I think they, they fell into the trap that, that the car drivers have fell into as well, where speed is important. 
rather than I think they're leading it. I I would say I think they're leading it, and and I would Lead, I would give leading? them. I think well, they're, they're by expanding by by feeding the culture. They're actually leading us into something that we wouldn't have otherwise chosen if we had give, been given all the options. Well, I was going to say that Metro right now, a lot of their language focuses on the speed of the trip. And uh, I find that kind of annoying, actually, because, yep. you know, they'll, they'll talk about like, oh, we'll get you from A to B five minutes faster. And then I'm thinking, OK, but when I'm at B and I have to transfer to C, you're making me wait 20, 30 minutes. So what really matters is frequency, not speed, because I'm not just taking one bus. I'm going to take a bus and then I'm going to transfer and all that time gets lost. I used to, to uh, commute from Los Feliz to El Segundo and it was by train. And when I was lucky, I could get on a train five minutes, you know, transfer and I'd get to work within an hour or so when I, when I didn't, and I had to wait 20 minutes at each connection, it was like an hour and a half, you know, and it kind of destroyed the whole trip. It made it more worth it to drive a car. So I just feel like, you know, in one way that Metro is blowing is all their talk of speed and not frequency of service. Yeah. They're certainly not perfect. I think you might've been alluding to the 605 widening though, when you were talking about blowing it, were you Colin? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that the fact that there's people at Metro that are still talking about widening freeways is just beyond me. But right. you, so by then, the time they widened the 405, by the time they opened it, it was already like, yeah, forget it. Right. Yeah. And they stole money or stole money. And they they alloc they reallocated money from the from the bike path, from the exposition bike path to build the to build the freeway that no. was already. Yeah. That I didn't know. That's terrible. Lots of shenanigans. Cynthia, I want to ask you, what do you think it is about um, elected officials in Santa Monica that's radically different than the ones in, say, city of LA? Well, we're a smaller city. We have been working very hard to convince, to, to, I, we're, a, we're kind of like a little, um, not of congestion so it's like if you had just downtown being an entire city like their 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 focus on congestion would be at the top of the conversation right because it's just always gridlock so by us being a destination for our our population triples during a work week pre-covid so from 90,000 people to like 300,000 people for working and then more than that sometimes on the weekends. So unless we can figure out how to get people here and get around in a different way, we will consistently be living with gridlock. It's been, so a lot of people, or not a lot of people, but I mean, people will say, it's like, you're so lucky in Santa Monica, everything's so peachy. It's like, this is a long, hard fought battle to get improvements continuing to go in the right direction. So I serve on the TMO where we're working with employers um, and, and reducing car trips that way. We're working with Big Blue Bus, we're working with Metro. It's, it's um, for being a small 
landlocked city with ocean on one side with no room to grow anywhere, the options seem obvious and yet we still are fighting against um, that same status quo, which I keep bringing up. But we've worked very hard on our officials, but they have been receptive. But we're in a battle right now where uh, that could change because of um, COVID and because of the protests on March 31st, where uh, many of our incumbents are uh, their seats are threatened. So this is this is a this is a very critical election season for us here. Not only because of the national shenanigans um, that I think are pretty obvious, uh, but because of local politics where we have you know nimbys and finger pointers uh, that are um, fixing to push the blame elsewhere. And our, 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 our very supportive council um, who, has, who has made very hard decisions to keep us going in the right direction is now threatened. Well, you still have a really different kind of a city there. I don't know if Pasadena is at all like Santa Monica. Pasadena has history. In some ways it is, because I mean, it's, it has a history of being a destination and it has a history, I mean, it has, frankly, it has a history of, uh, you know, being a resort town and having a lot of really incredibly wealthy people, which it still does. Um, but it is still a destination and it, it, it actually blows my mind because I, I often think that the city of Pasadena leaders could learn a lot from Santa Monica and yet I'm told that they really resent the comparison and they don't want to be like Santa Monica. Um, meanwhile, you know, I think you're right. They're very similar. If they're just, yeah. we're definitely a destination. Uh, you have more landmass. I think that makes a major difference and you have more rolling hills and yeah. that, um, we have a very small sample of that North of Montana where, where we have the, the huge homes and the most of the money. Yeah. We still, yeah, I mean, we have larger landmass and everything, but it's still, it's, you know, it's got its old town section, which, you know, has mm -hmm. a similar vibe as, as downtown Santa Monica. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly thinking that I want to like somehow get some of the elected officials from Pasadena to come to Santa Monica and do a little tour of Santa Monica. Um, I'll take you on a tour. You know, I will. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, we did, we I, did the Santa Barbara folks one time and they were that they, a lot of stuff came out of that. We gave a tour to the Santa Barbara Goleta, uh, region. They had a lot of, they had a few elected officials and some, the Santa Barbara Bike Coalition come down. It was a really fun time. Cool. I'd be game for that. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> for sure. Um, I am, um, trying to, I'm talking to our neighborhood council here about because uh, they have slow streets now and um so i got involved and the, i suggested a uh, they want volunteers to help maintain the signs and i suggested a ride to do that and so we might do like a slow street sign maintenance group ride and a uh, a 311 ride where you go around and you call 311 on things that need to be fixed in your neighborhood or, or taken care of. 
but um, yeah, uh, do you do anything with the 99 neighborhood council system? I mean, ultra local? Do I? Um, I mean, Pasadena isn't part of that. Pasadena doesn't have neighborhood councils. Um, they do have some neighborhood associations and the city's getting ready to, to, they did a slow street campaign at the beginning, you know, shortly after the lockdown where they put these signs up at virtually all of the re slow residential streets, uh, residential neighborhood streets. Um, uh, and then they, they pulled it because they didn't, they actually had to rent all of the sign stands and it was getting expensive, but they're getting ready to relaunch the program. They've been watching what LA is doing, what Glendale is doing and realizing that if they do a, a, a request model and ask people to help maintain those signs, they think that'll be more long lasting and, and more successful. Um, you know, and it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a, you know, it's a simple measure to take. I'm still in, more in favor of them being a lot more uh, robust in, in implementing projects that need to be done. And that's where they've really fallen short. They were supposed to strike bike lanes on Orange Grove Boulevard, which is like the, aside from Colorado, is like the other primary east-west street. And uh, lo and behold, a, a group that, uh, that uh, grew out of Keep LA Moving, Keep Pasadena Moving, were very vocal in opposing it. And the local electeds um, kowtowed to them. And so now they're repaving that street right now with no bike lanes. Which uh, is so. Um, okay, that's, that's the other thing. Auto automating uh, bike infrastructure to where you don't have to fight for, in, for, for just block by block, but every time, you know, you make a policy where like they had that bill about Caltrans that didn't pass, I guess, but also the ADAPT thing, how every time they repave a street, there ought to be bike infrastructure. Or, or that's that's how we've gotten a lot of our lanes in Santa Monica. It's part of repaving and, rep and Santa Monica repaves more often than LA. So that helps that happen. But we also don't have neighborhood councils, but, and in the same breath, we have no slow streets, not one. Mm. and wow. they have been requested so mm. you know as much as we do great things elsewhere it's like sometimes it's like what are you doing everybody wants this you got people get, calling you and asking for it and you can't seem to get that together sometimes Santa Monica wants to be too perfect and and um we let perfection get in the way of progress mm. that's another yeah. soundbite this is going to be a tough edit <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, on the positive note, I would say that Pasadena is, is working on a two-way protected bike lane on Union Street, which is an east-west street north of Colorado that basically runs from Old Pass uh, over to Pasadena City College um, and sort of along the same lines of what Cynthia was talking about. It's, it's taking forever for it to be done. They're taking input on 90% design level right now, but it's been going on forever and ever and ever. And it just seems like it's never gonna get done. I think they're still projecting that it's not gonna be complete and actually implemented for a couple of more years. And, and I think they started working on it several years, like three, four years ago. So 
is taking a really long time. And so part of this is just being able to stick it out and to continue to push for it, whatever it is, until it finally gets done. And it, it, it often feels like it's, it's just not a priority uh, for the city for whatever reason. Um, and that's frustrating too. And, that, and I, think, I think a lot of that just goes back to this dominating car culture that we were talking about. It's like, um, you know, it's like we're, I'm sure everybody, you're all aware of like the, the, the stupid gap in, in the uh, Arroyo Seco bike path that took forever to get fixed. And yet, if there'd been a big hole in the street somewhere, they'd have covered that sucker up in like 10 minutes. And that would have been it. Um, so part of this is just getting getting away from this dominant car culture, um, which, you know, it's like if, if you watch TV, it's like, you know, every every other commercial is a car commercial for crying out loud. Um, it's, it's car culture, but it's also lack of realizing how important walking and biking is it's like they're just dismissed it's not even just i mean it is car culture but it's not just car culture it's 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 this this perception that people walking or biking aren't doing everyday things to go about their lives and that they may not be able to afford or have a choice not to own a car whatever reason and i think that that definitely adds to the frustration and it just feeds into this cycle of oh it's just we're la we're we're called culture it's almost like it's like crash versus accident we're la we're all about cars and it's that's all of a sudden the excuse and 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 that's the reason why it's like this no it's not it's because we've allowed it to be like this I like and to change up that language it. and say, uh, we're LA, we're all car dependent. You know, it's yeah. like people yeah. refer to transit dependent people like, oh, they're transit dependent. And it's like, well, you're car dependent. And people start, no, I'm not. I'm not car dependent. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. I, I like that. That's great. I'm going to Except for, except for transit dependent should be a positive. Well, any. Any any kind of uh, time that you Dependency. say that somebody's dependent on a certain mode, they feel like their freedom is being infringed on. So it's just sort of this little. I, I've definitely used it on people, and they'll they'll they they get their feathers ruffled. Yeah. Yep. I think you're right. It's about a mindset, and I think people become in this country in particular have become very complacent with their health. And so I think that there's a value that isn't really being sold properly in terms of walking and biking. It's, it's a, a really good way to stay healthy and to. Yeah. Absolutely. Ryan, I want to ask you as somebody who, who's uh, a film maker and a, a media guy, um, how, how do you see, how do you see us making bike and walking and transit culture more sexy and more similar to the the car advertising culture that we're seeing all the time and do you think that there's a lot of people who are in media work now who are starting to think that way i think if you can just get everybody a a round trip uh ticket to amsterdam uh i think that would do it colin Um, when you see that kind of, when you see, you know, that that's what it was for me. You know, I can't speak for others. What it was for me was going to certain cultures that that have, um, you know, built their city infrastructure around bicycles and, and seeing the beauty of that, seeing the joy of that, 
and uh, and being a part of that that was really uh, that was really sexy to me actually and so that's what got me back on my bike after having not been on one for many years and i was living in new york at the time which is arguably much more bike friendly than los angeles is and i still wasn't really riding my bike around uh but it was really seeing that and seeing the ease of that and and also just sort of the community of that because you go there and you go to a museum or a restaurant and you see dozens hundreds of bikes up there, everybody has a way. If you don't have a bike, you're not, you're some, something wrong with you if you don't have a bike. Uh, so it's funny. 10 years ago, we were talking about at the transportation summit how do we make transportation sexy? How do we change that? that? And for a certain period of time, you started seeing bikes in every commercial, every sitcom, every they were placed. And I've seen, I haven't, I don't watch as much TV, but I, I don't think that's happening as much anymore. So that, that, whatever that momentum was, is, is, seems to be waning maybe. Well, there was a, like a bike movement kind of in Los Angeles that then, that is not where it was, right? But yeah, now COVID, with COVID, I mean, we're obviously having huge numbers of people uh, moving to the bicycle and that's just like everywhere. So um figuring yeah. out how to capitalize on that and 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 keep that momentum going in the right direction and i think that the, now is the time to get manufacturers and shops on board because they're they're benefiting monetarily and they might have some money to spend to keep that momentum going in that direction hi kitty <laughs> well when you start seeing the kitty you know it's we're getting to be uh at the seven and a half hour or the start to lose so, so how's lose how's gone. the kpfk fundraiser going nick oh good wow thank you uh good question well I donated. We got, you donated yeah oh i didn't see your your there uh, maybe i'm not getting I'm all that wondering i'm wondering reports. if i donated it to a general and it didn't go to is that possible it's possible very possible there's some kind of glitch on the donation site that we got to get worked out. But thank you. It still goes to KPFK. We just wanted credit for it. <laughs> well, you should get you should get credit for it. I'm pretty sure I said something about bike talk in my in my comment. But yes, nice. we donated. Thank you. Thank you. Fifty uh, bucks. Wow. All right. Hey. Whoa. Ooh. All right. Thank Where's you. the sound effect for that? I don't have one. But... <laughs> Ring a bell. You need a bike bell. You need a bike <laughs> bell. Come on. We would like it's to. In the other room, and I'm not getting up. Oh yeah. All right. But uh, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. We'll put the link on the SoundCloud, and because uh, you know we want KPFK to realize, to recognize. Yeah, look, our goal is to get car talk off of KPFK and replace it with bike talk. Awesome. That would be good. I mean, car talk is just <laughs> reruns now, isn't it? No, this is a different car talk. It's like these two. The car show. You can. Cars uh, for, Don, you, you, people can hear you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what are they going to do? All right. They're going to put a contract out on. They're going to put a contract out on you, Don. Cool. I've been needing they, to They can just shift it from, from car talk to van life. Van life, yeah, that would actually be a cool show. <laughs> I like that. I'll go. I'll go on that one too. See, we're going. We're falling into car culture. Oh like, my goodness! Yeah. So, 
So Ryan, what's next for your movie? I know that you're getting in some film festivals. Colin, we, we showed it at uh, the Better Cities Film Festival uh, about a week ago. We showed it at the Catalina Film Festival here, and we're hoping to to share it with uh, with many more people around the world. How's the response been? It's been positive, I think. You know, I think people uh, really want this of the city. I think people are excited about uh, that that it can be possible, you know, that, that they can have a city where, where biking is, is part of it. So it's been a really positive response and it's, it's great to see you as always and uh, catch up with you here. Um, I think I've seen it. Are, are you doing like local screenings? We'd love to have a screening here. Oh, I mean, I'd, a virtual screening. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, we, uh, that would be, that would be awesome. We should do that. Um, we haven't really had any local screenings because we finished the film in May. You know, we we shot it in January, February. We were supposed to shoot it through March, and everything got shut down. You know, before we were technically supposed to finish, but we finished it anyway with the footage we had, and um, and we finished it sort of in quarantine. Everybody from their homes and the editors from their homes. And uh, but but even though we finished it, we haven't really been able to do any uh, public screenings. So that would be great. I would love to talk to you about arranging something. Yep, that would be great. We've done we've done quite a few screenings here either virtual or we did what was that la car movie remember that colin we did that on bike month what was that movie it was not bikes versus cars no well that that turned into motherload we did it we did a thing of motherload mm-hmm. and then there was that woman who did a film and we showed it as a lemley i can't remember what it's it was some sort of la LA car mm. oh, I can't remember the name of it my bad my bad Lincoln but yeah we had a, a screening at the Lemley and then we did um motherload which used to be bike versus car or car versus bike um they the name of that huh they changed the name of that movie or... I didn't know when, that was the yeah same when movie. it was when they were when they I'm not sure if that is the, the, but the working title, the first title was not Motherload. It changed to Motherload after, because we were, we kickstarted it when it was in its early stages. It took eight years to make that movie, Motherload. The one with Frederick? It took eight years. The director, Frederick from uh, Sweden? Frederick Gerden. No, that's, that's um, Liz Canning. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're talking about two separate movies, because Bikes versus Cars is another movie that Dan Coppell was in. Gotcha. And Cynthia, you're in Motherload, right? Yes. I do have some, I do, we, yeah. We, uh, by chance, Liz was filming in LA and we were on our way to Ciclovia and we all met up. Uh, we just casually ran into each other. Mm-hmm. And as I said, we were Kickstarters of the film uh, in its very early stages. That was definitely a crowdsourced film. And it, it's a it's a powerful film. I, I yeah. really like it a lot. Cool. We saw it at the Bike Summit in DC in 2019. They showed it there on the la- uh, at movie night at the Bike Summit. And then um, we continued and we had, uh, she's been having virtual screenings um, because obviously COVID happened. We were scheduled to have an in-person screening 
as part of a cargo festival pre-COVID, and that didn't happen, so we did the virtual. Cargo festival. Yeah. And then, yeah. sounds like pretty soon you'll be able to see Ryan's movie in Santa Monica. Yep, I'm hoping. That's what we'll do. We'll do some sort of virtual screening or, or something. I don't think we're going to be doing any um, in-person stuff yet. Santa Monica is pretty conservative, and I'm happy with that, with keeping um, no large crowds and such. Colin, I'm also working on a new uh, documentary uh, with uh, Jimmy Lazama, and uh, it's about his new cargo bike project uh, called uh, the Metal Long John. And it's a cargo bike that is actually a, a workshop where you can take it to educational institutions, to schools, and build bicycles uh, with the kids there out of this uh, cargo bike workshop. Sounds great. Like exercycle. What's that, Cynthia? That's like exercycle. Ross Evans from Exercycle um, started by going to places like Honduras with B World Bicycle Relief. And that was his, his vision was to create a bike that people could build in these third world countries for them to have transportation and have room for cargo. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that sounds very, very similar. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have to keep us posted about your project and we should also talk because we can we can probably arrange a screening here in Pasadena too. Would love to. Let's do it. It'd be great. All right. All right. Um, well, we're Ron's coming. laying down. I think it's time to finish. <laughs> <laughs> You've been laying down for a while now, man. I uh, just like to lounge and stay comfortable. That's what's so <laughs> great about that's what's so great about these, uh, the new format, Zoom. You don't have to sit the in a chair. The new normal? Yeah, <laughs> the new normal. Um, well, we want to, you know, thank everybody. Thank our guests, Colin, Ryan, and Cynthia. It's good to see see you guys and meet you, Ryan. And uh, I saw your film earlier today on Vimeo. That's, yeah, that's that was the film. So it, it's... Uh, it was filmed fantastically. I loved all the drone shots and the audio quality is excellent film. So uh, can we give the, do we give the URL out or are we saving, are we keeping it secret for the film festivals or how do we, how do we do this? I think we had a special link, didn't we? Uh, there was a link through the Better Cities Film Festival, but but the Vimeo link is, is there and oh. uh, people can watch the film if they want to there. Okay, great. Not to spoil so the uh, film festivals that Cynthia and Colin are going to be doing. <laughs> no, well, I, I don't think it's the more the merrier. Let's the more the merrier. There. All right. Um, okay. Why don't we do the uh, the social media contacts for everybody, and then we'll take it away. Um, Colin, what you got? You're with Pasadena Safe Streets, right? It, Pasadena Complete Streets Coalition. Okay. And the and Twitter day one. Give us give us some places where we can find that. Uh, the Twitter is at Pasadena CSC, and um, the day one. Their website is godayone.org. They're not really active as much on Twitter, but okay. Um, yeah, and then there's also a website for Pasadena Complete Streets Coalition as well. It's pretty easy to find. Okay. 
Like, there's my cat. She's destroying my chair. <laughs> Love um, what do you mean your chair? Her chair? It's totally her chair. She has claimed this chair and it's the neighbor gave it to me. It was actually a a uh, you know mid-century modern wonderful chair and she's completely destroyed it. But as long as she only touches that chair, it's fine. Um, anyway, sorry. Just go back to uh, Cynthia. Where can we find you on social media and where can people get in touch? So uh, Cynthia.rose at smspoke.org. Uh, and that's on all platforms. We are smspoke at smspoke. So that would be Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, we also, I'm co-founder or founder and co-director of uh, Santa Monica Safe Street Alliance. And that's our Vision Zero uh, version for Santa Monica since, you know, the Venice people kind of ruined the Venice, the hashtag Vision Zero. We're calling it Santa Monica Safe Streets. Oh, I didn't know about that. The, the Venice people hijacked the Vision Zero hashtag. Well, they, yeah, they made it. Yeah, they made it seem like it was, you know, Vision Zero was a bad thing, right? When they were talking about Venice Boulevard uh, and, and got people all riled up about that. So. They, 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 they called it, um, in Santa Monica, we call it Take the Friendly Road. All right. Uh, Ryan, where can we get in touch with you? Well, you can, find, you can find the film spokespeople on Vimeo, as we were just talking about. And uh, otherwise, you know, I'm not on social media, so um, you won't be able to find me there. Oh, bless you. Lucky you. Yeah. That's a new. That's a new development. As of about a month ago, it's 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 going Good great. Good for you. Yeah, round of applause. Do you have electricity? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can see you. You have lights. That would be the next thing to disconnect from is electricity. I'm working on it, but I'm I'm just so hooked. I'm so hooked. <laughs> We've got a solar panel and some batteries. So we're, we're on our way to just figuring out how to get off grid. Awesome. I bought like 15 solar panels from the Toyota, the Toyota uh, corporation shut down in Gardena. And one of the construction workers was like hawking a thousand solar panels for 10 bucks each. So I went down there oh and bought Oh my like, God. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's still I took a solar class this summer and I'm like studying you know solar well, panel. If you ever want if you ever want to get rid of a few, there yeah you know actually my friend bought seventy of them and uh, he's probably not going to use them all. Wow, I mean ten bucks each. I mean yeah, but you're still on that ele- electricity though. He's still he's still uh, electric dependent, so yeah. Just attach them to a lithium battery, and then you don't need the grid. Yeah, except on uh, rainy days, right? Yeah, if you got enough battery backup, we're going way off course now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We might that is that one of the bike talk uh, bingo. (laughs) Someone made a (laughs) bike talk bingo card, and it's got all the possible scenarios we go. What do we ask awkward questions? Did we do that tonight? <laughs> I don't think we did. I, I'm sure we. Well, I don't know. I don't, we, better, we better get off. You do. <laughs> that was an awkward uh, question. 
Yeah, that is. You just did it right there. Okay. All right. We'll edit that. I want to say how wonderful it has been to spend this evening with you all. This has been a tough week for me, and this was definitely something that lifted my spirits. So thank you all. Okay. Likewise. Yeah, so nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank Great. you, Cynthia. It's it's. I'm glad you're still there. <laughs> yeah. Yay. You too, Carl. Right, all, right. all right. Hasta uh, la vista, buddies. And I still care. think about our 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 uh, our. What was that, Don? Our the the thing at the at the Levi thing. What was that? The. What was that called? It Four was directions. The six all... directions of bike talk. Oh yeah. right. Remember. Right. That was a good one. We keep trying to resurrect that. This is as close as we've come, two of yeah. us and Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll we still get Nick for not recording that. I think I think we need to bring Colin back. You were with Bike Talk like years ago, right, Colin? Yeah, on and off. It's true. You were doing a really good job of asking questions tonight. Yeah, oh. you kept you kept folding in someone, and so yeah. uh, kept maybe, bringing where we needed to be that's right maybe well how many meetings has colin been to in his lifetime oh god <laughs> oh, oh god a lot maybe uh, we can we'll talk we'll okay. talk i'm gonna go help my i'm gonna go help my part my i'm gonna go help jenny make dinner now great i'm gonna go play with my cat <laughs> great to see you all great to see great you, to see you all bye-bye see you all right let's take it out bike talk Theme. I rise in the morning and greet the day. Pull out the bike and I'm on my way. The transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Green in the green, I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass. I'm on a motherfucking bike. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 